The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Always your faithful reformer. Week to week, I bring you the topics few will want to talk about, few have the courage to address, and uniquely brought to you by that patriotic American Muslim patriot who is unafraid, unafraid to address the issues that few others will. We have a lot to talk about. I hope you and your loved ones had a wonderful Thanksgiving last week, and uh, my uh, short podcast on gratitude um, was something that... uh, made you think about what our legacy is, what it is we leave behind, and that is really how we show gratitude. This week, a couple things I want to talk to you about, mainly what is happening in Saudi Arabia. I know we talked about some of the details, but really to to look at a column that Tom Friedman wrote called Saudi Arabia's Spring, Arab Spring at Last, and also can't help but, you know, if we don't talk about it in this program, where are you going to talk about it? Uh, on the one hand, I... Wanted to ignore some of the bizarre tweets coming out of our uh, tweeter-in-chief, President Trump. Three of them in a row on Wednesday morning put the world into a tilt uh, because the left and others were complaining that they were anti-Muslim. And uh, you and I will talk about what they were, what's going on, and how much that sucks the oxygen out of the room of what the what the what the country should be focused on, what we should be focused on when it comes to national security. So first, Tom Friedman, New York Times. I read the title and I thought, what is he talking about? And then I read the body of the report, of his opinion, of his op-ed, and I asked again, what is he talking about? And I couldn't believe he's talking about Saudi Arabia. Tom Friedman, a pretty well-read expert on the Middle East, written Quite a number of books about the issue, all about uh, things from the Israeli-Palestinian issue to Iran to Saudi Arabia, an old hand of these issues. And uh, there are times I've agreed, times I've disagreed with him, but I have to tell you, I want to put a marker down that I could not disagree with him more. First of all, the title that this is Saudi Arabia's Arab Spring at last, I frankly find offensive. Offensive. Arab Spring was what? It was a failure, yeah, he talks about that. It was abysmal, other than maybe Tunisia, which he mentions also as probably the only silver lining. But the Arab Spring was revolutionary. It was revolutions of the people taking ownership of their country, taking ownership of their governments, failing because of chaos, because of corruption, because of anarchy. But it was a people's movement against tyranny, against oppression. You can't have an Arab Spring from within a billionaire tribe that's feeding off of the byproducts of petrol and a petrol Islam, that just doesn't make sense. And by calling it that, actually, there are tinges of bigotry, tinges of somehow that the Arabs can only have a real Arab spring if it's brought to them by a 30-plus-year-old spoiled prince whose daddy handed him the kingdom, and he's cleaning out the royal family's conflicts. So I read this 
on and on, and line after line, he says, after nearly four hours together when he sat with MBS, Muhammad bin Sultan, oh, I'm sorry, Muhammad bin Salman, he surrendered at 1.15 a.m. to MBS's youth, pointing out that I was exactly twice his age, says Tom Friedman. It's been a long, long time, though, since any Arab leader wore me out with a fire hose of new ideas about transforming his country. And then he asked him about the Ritz and all the family members that were holed up and locked up there because of corruption. And it appeared from the amount of inches that Mr. Friedman gave to the concept of dealing and and ending the corruption that he believed the lines that somehow MBS and his trusted, honest, moral House of Saud had cleaned out 200 names of people that were squandering the riches of Saudi Arabia, not using it for good, but using it for personal wealth. And those 200 names then were shook down and the property of the state of Saudi Arabia was taken back. And it did not appear that Friedman had any problem with that, that he felt that it was honest. And it appeared that he was buying every word that he was given, that somehow the old propagandistic method of the Saudis, of the Middle East dictators, which is to feed the West lines that it wants and tell them that it's a 5, 10, 20-year program, buys them time, and then by the time the next administration comes, the 2030 plan becomes the 2050 plan, becomes the 2100 plan. So the Saudi 2030 plan is a joke. It's a scam. It's a diversionary tactic. And yet, the old sage, Mr. Friedman, was distracted into believing that the corruption was going to end, that somehow the youth and the millennials were going to re- reclaim a moral, moderate Islam. And then the only evidence that Friedman gives you that somehow Islam will reform. Now, one of the key points, key points that's given in this piece was a quotation from MBS himself who said, Indeed, MBS instructed me, quote, Do not write that we are reinterpreting Islam. We are restoring Islam to its origins. And our biggest tools are the Prophet's practices in daily life in Saudi Arabia before 1979. At the time of the Prophet Muhammad, he argued there were musical theaters, there was mixing between men and women, and there were respect for Christians and Jews in Arabia. The first commercial judge in Medina was a woman. So if the Prophet embraced all of this, MBS asked, do you mean the Prophet was not a Muslim? And then one of his ministers happened to show him on his cell phone pictures, YouTube videos of Saudi Arabia in the 50s, women without headscarves, wearing skirts and walking with men in public, as well as concerts and cinemas. It was still a traditional and modest place, but not one where fun had been outlawed, which is what happened after 1979. If this virus of an anti-pluralistic, misogynistic Islam that came out of Saudi Arabia in 1979 can be reversed in Saudi Arabia, it would drive moderation across the Muslim world and surely be welcomed here where 65% of the population is under 30. The banker tells Friedman, my generation was held hostage by 1979. I know that my kids will not be hostages. So he was played. 
Come on, how many diplomatic missions does it take to know when we're being played by the Arab tribe? This is a PR extravaganza. I visited twice with the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom. They throw out the red carpets and pretend they're going to change and tell you they'll do this and that. And they're not upset all about all the stuff we had written about their anti-Semitism, the evil in their textbooks, the, 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 the nature of the writings. No, they wanted it just to be nicer and they, they coddled us to do that because they, they know they control the ship of their tens of millions of people there and their oil and that we're going to continue to buy it. They just are trying to make it appear that they're on the way to moderation and get the kindness and respect rather than helping a revolution overthrow their tribal autocratic rear ends. That's the reality. Friedman was played. How many times does he need to be played? Does our government need to be played to know that this is all a sham? I'm sorry, at this point, MBS might be, yeah, if he's going to bring back the Saudi Arabia of, of uncovered, uh, no mandatory hijab, women leading organizations, interfaith communities in a country that can't even build a church right now, that's going to change in his lifetime? And he doesn't even talk about reinterpreting, he won't talk about reform. There's been hundreds of pieces, just look at the terms, search in Google, revivalists, Versus reformists, the Tariq Ramadans, the Ikhwan, the Muslim Brotherhood, the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia, as much as there may be Islamism 2.0, 3.0, more modern type MBS types, they're all revivalists. They want to bring back things the way it was at the time of the Prophet Muhammad. Is the king using the medicine, the computers, the engineering of the time of the Prophet Muhammad? I don't think so. So what about political innovation? These people don't believe in innovation. They want to go backwards, not forward. None of that was discussed in this op-ed. None of it. It's not about reform. It's not about innovation. He's still a Wahhabi. He's just a modern window-dressing Wahhabi. Internally, the nuclear core is still backwards. It's not about anti-corruption. This was a power, a power struggle between the global Islamist sympathizers who he marginalized and took their money away, making them impotent, their money being their main power, versus the Wahhabi Saudi nationalists who are part of the House of Saud. And that's the division that happened. Nothing about the nonsense that Friedman all of a sudden became a propagandist for. This is Udi Jasser. We'll be right back on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at Glenn Beck.com/liars. Reaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We're talking about what should we make? What should thought leaders like Tom Friedman be making of the whole, of the amazing changes? 
that are coming off the lips of MBS and the, the new transformation of Saudi Arabia. That happens, oh, well, by the way, happens to be happening when they are vulnerable to an expanding Iran. Vulnerable to an expanding Iran that now owns Iraq, that now has made Syria into a client state, as Hariri uh, also then sheepishly went to Saudi Arabia with his tail between his knees because Iran also controls most of Lebanon with Hezbollah. So these reforms are all about simply a massive PR strategy through their, I'm sure their PR consultation through Western PR firms that they buy in London and Washington and elsewhere that tells them, you know what, just create a plan of moderation. They like to hear about getting rid of the veil. They like to hear about uh, uh, anti-corruption. They like to hear about uh, um, interfaith. So throw a lot of that in there. Don't need to talk about reform. Don't need to talk about in reinventing or new inventions. Just talk about bringing back a moderate Islam. Nobody's going to ask you about details. So that's my question to you. I want to believe MBS. Sure, you can't. Saudi Arabia will become a mess if there's a massive revolution. But again, I don't think you can have a real Arab Spring, a real reformation without massive disruption. It's just not going to happen with the current power structure. It's not. Human nature has shown in history that it never happens with the current power structures. And to say that somehow that MBS is any less corrupt, look in his own history what he spent his millions and millions and millions on, and his father has, and that royal family, it's all cut from the same cloth of people that have never worked a day in their life for any of the property that they confiscated from the country that handed them with no choice of their own all of the riches that they exploit and enslave their people to mill out. So reform is about new modern thinking, looking forward. He talked about looking back, about not reinterpreting, insisted he wasn't reinterpreting. So I'm sorry. Enough with the talk. I want to see where's the textbooks that are modern thinking. Where was the Sharia judge that Friedman should have been asking to talk to and writing about on the pages of the New York Times rather than writing promises of propagandistic plans? like the five-year Soviet plans that came out every five years that were, weren't worth the paper they were written on. That's what this is. It's a five-year Soviet plan of modernization. The modern House of Saud. Where's the inventions? Any free markets coming? Will the property rights of the people begin to Reform? I couldn't believe an American, an American capitalist thinker was sold by a guy who was an autocrat kleptocrat that said that he imprisoned other kleptocrats in order to bring back honest reforms. Really? There's no change in the system other than just believing by the faith, by the grace of God, that this prince is different than the one before, the one before, the one before, and the one before. It's a joke. Some of what he said was true. Saudi Arabia transformed unbelievably in 79. But it was a poisoned recipe from the beginning, which is handing a country to one family, one tribe, that then owned 
lock, stock, and barrel every barrel of oil made in that country. Prevented free market thinking, sales of ideas and companies and innovation. Without innovation, that country is going nowhere. Without independent ownership of property, of ideas, of patents, that country is going nowhere. And Mr. Friedman, you insult every Arab and there is some endemic racism. Yes, I will use the R word. Endemic racism and believing that a young slick prince who talks about corruption and modern uh, 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 women's rights and other things that through his lips come some of the right ideas and yet has not shown one physical change in his country that's worth believing That somehow that is the future of the Arab people in Saudi Arabia and across the Middle East. I won't believe it till it happens. I'm willing to eat my words. We'll put this podcast as a marker, as a marker in the future. That if MBS becomes the, the Bishop Tutu, becomes the Nelson Mandela of Arab freedom from enslavement of the Petro-Islam of the House of Saud, that somehow the women of Saudi Arabia are released from the shackles, from the shackles of monarchical, autocratic, kleptocratic control, then I will say a mea culpa, and let's see the critical thinking of the judiciary of Saudi Arabia unleashed, But he even said himself, it's not about reform or reinterpreting. It's about looking back to the Islam of the Prophet. So the question that we pose, that I posed on this podcast many times, is not what the Prophet did in the 7th century. That's old history. It's relevant, but it's old history. We can use it to, to, to ground some of the things we do. But no, modernizing, not moderating, modernizing Islam is about what the prophet would do if he were alive in 2017. If he were alive today, I believe he'd invent a new system and he would fall in love with the American system. The separation of powers, the separation of church and state, the establishment clause, that would be a new era of thinking. The Sharia courts would be marginalized to simply family matters, to personal arbitration systems, and the American system would be something that we and our theological leadership would embrace no different than the West has embraced. That would be an Arab Spring of the people, for the people, by the people. It's not an Arab Spring, Mr. Friedman, when it comes, when it comes on the heels of a spoiled 32-year-old prince. Yeah, and you're right, I'm biased. There's nothing, any prince coming out of Saudi Arabia that has had his feet washed by slaves in his palaces and lives hypocritical lives that I am ever going to believe. Not one. Because the future of the Middle East is not the princes and the royal families. The future of the Middle East is not the autocrats and the dictators. The future of the Middle East is disruption, it's revolutions, and the building of civil free society through universal human rights. That's the future of the Middle East. And I'm not going to believe that the changes they talk about in their fake plans of 2015 and 
2030, I mean, and 2050, all these plans in the future are nothing but diversionary tactics as they solidify powers into regional strength as they realize that the West is their only ally remaining. Now, the good part of what MBS is doing, I think in the West he's going to unleash and give us more freedom. Because finally, the bin Talals of the world that were feeding the global Islamists have lost this battle within the royal family. That's what happened. None of that was talked about by Friedman in his piece. The Qatari Muslim Brotherhood Saudi Prince Axis has been broken. What happened there? We may not know for a while the details of what led to that. No, I don't think it came from Washington. I don't think it came from Europe. Something internally, and I think it had to do with Qatar's plans and allegiances with Iran and their natural gas program and others, and their media influence globally, that ultimately led the Saudis to determine that they have to cut off with all their influence, not only the Qataris and the Khomeinis, but their own royal family that was connecting with the Brotherhood regionally and globally. And that's what was all about this coup internally with MBS leading it. That's what was all about the shift early into a younger family member that the, the father did not feel was tied to the Brotherhood network. And I think ultimately that's what the freedmen's of the world have missed and are falsely interpreting in a way that will go down in history as notoriously incorrect. And if I'm wrong, I'll eat my words. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. Reaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment this week of Reform This. What else is on the radar? You know, as we come to the close of another year, 2017, 2017, I'll show my age here a second. I was born in 1967, had my 50th birthday party last week. Surprise party. God blessed me with an unbelievable family who somehow hid from me that they were having a party. I thought uh, I had ducked it and there wasn't going to be one a couple days after my birthday on the 17th they decided to surprise me and was blessed to see a lot of my friends here there and uh, we had a great time but I'm reminded as I enter my sixth decade so many things change yet so many things stay the same wise person has said that a wise philosopher has said that and we always forget to take the time out to be with family to to thank God for our blessings to remember his name, to remember why we're here, what our purpose is. And yet every year we're reminded also of the people on earth who make it challenging, who make it important for the good to succeed, and that evil will succeed. As Meade said, evil will succeed if good men do nothing, men and women. 
every year there's always a debate and time has cornered the market on if you will naming the person of the year i hope they don't uh, simply make it a partisan effort we know they did that uh, with obama they did it with a number uh, of folks in the past but let's try to get the partisanship out of this for a second if you and i can do this and talk about who should be the person of the year a lot of names have been floated but one i think is an obvious obvious choice now remember person of the year is not always somebody's a hero did something good it could be something bad it could be evil somebody who sort of dominated the way the year transpired. And I have to tell you, as much as this hurts me, as much as it pangs my heart, and it's sad to say, I think the obvious choice is Vladimir Putin. It's pretty obvious. You have a tyrant, a tyrannical Russian dictator, former KGB head, who... In a matter of 12, 24 months, especially in the last year, has seen now basically an unabated creep into Ukraine. Assad, his friend, has now basically become safe, a genocidal tyrant who's used chemical agents multiple times. Putin stayed by, stayed close to. And now laughs hugging him as a man will go down in history as one of the most ruthless, if not the most ruthless, genocidal dictator of the 21st century. With six, seven hundred thousand dead, 10, 11 million displaced internally and throughout Europe. You've seen Russia's bigger ally, Iran, now annex Syria taking over Iraq, which was freed from the Sunni dictator by the West, but now has been taken over by the Khomeinists. And you have the Shia Crescent extending into Lebanon with Russia's Shia allies having a stronger position in the Middle East than they've had in a century. You see a bipartisan cluster in Washington with both parties, both parties, starting with Hillary Clinton, Podesta, and including an unbelievable inability of President Trump to be critical of Russia with the Flynn affair and others, both parties just embroiled in this unbelievable consumption and suck of time into a Russia investigation. And now it's being shown that ultimately the Russians played both sides against the middle. And we're instigating right-wing supremacists. We're instigating left-wing Soros types. We're instigating Islamists and others in order to simply disrupt the American political atmosphere. That was the Russian MO. They did it through bots. They did it through a, a mechanism that played with the America's political and media system, as they did also reportedly in France and in other democracies. We see WikiLeaks, which has been bizarrely silent on Russia. We see Snowden, who's holed up in Russia with with unbelievable trove of secrets about the United States. 
on and on. And Putin chuckles with his hearty chuckle, I'm sure, as he basically, in an evil and I would say satanic way, his people have have now seen the loss, continued loss of, of any freedoms that they may have had to being one of the world's worst offenders of religious freedom, that unless you are part of the state-sanctioned form of Orthodox Christianity, you have virtually no freedoms. Ask the Jehovah's Witnesses, ask um, Sunni Muslims and others. In fact, when Putin wants to get rid of radical Islamists, he just lets them flow into Syria from Chechnya. The head of Chechnya is this boorish dictator. The examples go on and on. So I think if you look at person of the year, at least in my book, 2017 will go down as the year the Soviet Union came back under a different name, led by Vladimir Putin. America was still arguing about isolationism, about whether it's better to be friends with Russia so we can be more influential and use them to be impactful in Syria. All the while, Putin and Khomeini, Putin and Assad are talking about their victory over ISIS when in fact the victory only happened when President Trump unleashed the Pentagon to actually be able to do the work that they do the best in the world, which is defeat militants on the ground like cockroaches which is what they did. And ISIS is on the verge of being decimated. But ISIS is not completely gone. We saw an attack on a mosque of over 300 people. And jihad is as strong as it's ever been. So, the bottom line is, is that almost in every way you look, we are on the defense we are reactive. Our policies are being shaped by a more imperialistic Russia. Now, I got responses to my tweet about this earlier this week, but people say, oh, yeah, this is, a, this is what happens when a national country is more nationalistic, serving its own interests. I would tell you, actually, this is what happens when you have a leader that is unhinged and ungrounded by any moral authority or any moral compass. When you have a corrupt fascist dictator who will exploit every weakness around him on his borders and globally and then unleash his information operations, working with other information ops, be it from Iran, the Syrian Electronic Army, on and on. This is not brilliance. It's, it's, it's how evil wins. Because good people don't work together close enough in order to defeat the evil. So yes, sadly, Vladimir Putin, by him being the person of the year, represents what happened to the moral standards of the free world in the West. We might have been... Now we certainly have a commander-in-chief who has been able to set aside political correctness, has allowed us to feel stronger and being proud of being American, has allowed us to feel that we are no longer 
apologetic, that we will look out for our interests. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But is there a strategy? It appears that we're withdrawing. We are proud to be no longer the advocates, evangelists for liberty, for freedom, the defenders of the people on the ground, but rather we're shoring up Saudi dictatorships and and shoring up Egyptian, Jordanian, other dictators. Yes, they are our allies, but what are we doing about advancing the ideas of freedom? And I think Putin deserves to be named as man of the year. Yes, that bothers me significantly. Yes, it's not anything for the world to be proud of. But I do think it's a sign of what happened in 2017. This is not a reflection of a partisan issue. You all know where I stand on these things. Not a reflection necessarily of failures on President Trump, failures on, you know, I think both the left and the right were played on this issue. And there's enough blame to go around. We'll see who time names. But at least in this podcast, you have my two cents. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform. This will be right back with the last segment. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. Now, as hard as it is for me, I try not to uh, pay attention to trolling, pay attention to uh, things that uh, uh, often have no explanation, little explanation, are simply the random thoughts. But when the President of the United States... Somebody who I think had some courage to bring up some issues in the campaign that uh, the previous president was ignoring and has had people around him that have talked about the need for counter-Islamism, for reform, etc. He's had his problems, he's had his inability to focus on these things. But this week, he woke up Wednesday morning, decided to tweet three tweets in a row out of an organization retweeting an organization called Britain First, a far-right trolling group that basically made its name by some of its leaders, including this wacky Jada Franson that he retweeted that actually was uh, somebody that, uh, my understanding, was arrested uh, because of assault and other things in Britain. So this is the trash of the far-right and in Britain, let alone in the United States. And the president, the leader of the free world, decides to retweet her comments, her videos. Videos that, now they're described as anti-Muslim over and over. They are incendiary. They are uh, um, you perhaps uh, fear-mongering, you could say. Um, they are about militant groups that do things that are 
medieval. A Pakistani man, an Arabic man, I believe, in a beard is shown destroying a statue of the Virgin Mary and saying that in Arabic, saying that Islam will dominate, that will the religion of God has only Islam, and then commits an act offensive act on the statue of what is obviously the Virgin Mary. Then you see a a Muslim in Europe, appears to be in the Netherlands, who beats up a kid, assaults and battery a kid in crutches. And then you see a video that appears to be out of Egypt that is about the killing of an individual by a militant Islamist group by throwing him off a cliff, the top of a roof, I'm sorry. Why would the president retweet this? And then Sarah Huckabee Sanders responds in the White House by saying that the president is concerned about national security, is concerned about the borders, etc. Well, the country that did this was in Egypt. It's not on the list that the president had. So, um, you know, I've been told many times, well, the president understands how to use media and he's sort of crazy like a fox and all this kind of stuff. I have to tell you, listen, what I want to take your time to talk to you about in this last segment is he has a bully pulpit. He has 44 million followers. He can set the agenda. I get it that he wants to be inflammatory and not just sort of do boring press releases. Okay, fine. But why not figure out a strategy, employ that? So far, his strategy has only been to inflame to spread the, the, the severely negative rather than show Muslims fighting for freedom. Show the solutions. And why this week there wasn't even, the, the last attack was the week before against the mosque, certainly during Thanksgiving week, weekend. But he didn't talk about that. Yes, he tweeted the day of it, but these videos didn't seem to be in response to that. Sufi Muslims were killed in that mosque. Lift up the fact that within the house of Islam is a battle for the soul of Islam. Show that Muslims are the greatest assets for that solution. And not just showing some radical theocrats that are militant. And then saying that you want to protect the border from them. Does that make sense? Is that going to endear a cooperation in which the country works together to understand the threat and then work to defeat it? I don't think so. So I'm with you in draining the swamp, President Trump. I'm with you in defeating the radical Islamists. But waking up at 7, 8 a.m. on Wednesday morning and putting out tweets from a nativist far-right trolling group called Britain First is not going to help us achieve that. It's just not. There's no rational way to say it. And if you want to be dismissed, your effectiveness will decrease. And as our president's effectiveness decreases, so will our role in the Muslim community that shares the mission to defeat Islamists. And in greater America that wants our country to be safe, but wants our country to be the beacon of freedom around the world, not the beacon of reflexive nativism. This wasn't even an American group. The Prime Minister of Britain even had to explain how this was a problem. Now, there's 
There's some recent commentary about how the president may have unwittingly exposed the problems with their crazy hate speech laws in Britain. Because he's sort of set in motion a, a, a process that they can't prevent, which exposes how hate speech laws are actually cycles into hurting ultimately the people that you need on your side. Not these radicals, but rather those who are trying to defeat those who would prevent criticism of theocracy, who would prevent criticism of certain issues in order to insulate themselves from critique. Those who promote the words like Islamophobia, etc. No, I don't think it was anti-Muslim. Somebody asked me if the president should apologize. You know what? I don't think that would do anything. I don't think it's of any value. I want my president to be strong and forward. I want him to be rational and strategic. This was none of those things. Move on. Begin to engage your powerful Twitter handle that bypasses the media in a productive, strategic way. Talk about your commission on radical Islam. Talk about Islamists as the problem and anti-Islamists as the solution. That then will get the liberals all upset, but also allow us to begin to look at solutions in a positive, constructive way. Rather than this entropy of, of giving care the red meat that they want. I'm sorry, when I turn on the TV and a half an hour after he tweets this, the Islamists are getting time on television to respond. President Trump, I think that should show you that you're empowering the swamp. You're empowering the Islamists in Washington by giving them red meat and amplifying voices that are not what America is. No, I don't think showing videos of the Twin Towers falling or of Islamists committing acts of crimes against humanity as anti-Muslim. The anti-Muslim fact is the fact that we don't enough marginalize these things and attack the movements that create these monsters. Yes, we need to fix that. The group that posted that might be anti-Muslim, absolutely. Britain First seems to be a nativist radical group. No idea why the president would retweet that and endorse that type of organization, but he did. So I hope we can be more productive. I am disappointed. I don't think we should exaggerate the impact which a few tweets would have. It's uh, the old uh, uh, laser pointer and cat running around. That's exactly what the media does. The president throws some red meat and the media goes after it. Now, fortunately, Mr. President, you're giving amplification to the uh, Islamists in America and those of us who are trying to give a rational, strategic, honest, contrite voice from within the Muslim community are being marginalized because the noise is getting so loud between the extremes in America that the rational, strategic, forward-thinking center center right is being ignored. So at the end, I think many of us want the same thing our commander-in-chief wants, a more secure America, a clearer America that's less diluted by multiculturalism and weakness, 
and wants us to confront the ideologies that threaten us. But that can only happen with a focused plan of ideas, of engagement of those voices that the president can amplify, rather than those voices that should be ignored. This is Zudi Jasser. God bless you and your family. I'll see you next week on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.